Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You got killers, you got murders, you got rapists. Then people started getting rescued, so they went through one hell because they got stuck in a storm on the outside. Then they got rescued and brought to the Superdome, so they had to live through another hell. We always thinking we need to get out. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Visit betterhelp.com slash Padilla because sometimes existing is exhausting. Hello, Shelton. How you doing, Anthony? What was the disaster that you faced? So I faced Hurricane Katrina, 2005. The year before, in 2004, we had a storm called Ivan mm. that came through, but it missed us at the last minute. Mm. People was fatigued. They didn't want to, they was like, man, I spent all this money on the road and then a storm turned off at the last minute. The storms that people talk about in New Orleans since I was a kid was uh, Hurricane Betsy mm -hmm. and Hurricane Camille. That's two storms that put them under because, you know, New Orleans is below sea level. Yeah. So it's always it's just been a, a bowl. It's a bowl. When I was a kid, like in uh, middle school, my teacher told me, she said, one day this thing is going to fill up like a gumbo. And when Ivan, you know, turned off at the last minute, I think it made a lot of people, including my, my moms and them, like, uh, we good, we, we chilling. Was there any kind of warning? Any kind of, you know, like signal that you should be getting out of town? Some of the signs I would say was like some birds flying around like I never seen before. Like, like the animals and, know? Yeah, in masses. Like the, the, the weather, it felt different. Like you can see the skies, mm -hmm. you can see stuff like kind of moving around. You starting to just feel the breeze, you know, the outer bands. So just something in my spirit just was like, man, this, this time is gonna happen. When did you know that you were in danger, like for real? Starting off, like when I was on the road, I was on a highway and I'm still trying to get towards Baton Rouge, but I'm stuck in traffic for like three hours. And at this point, you're actually trying to escape? because I'm trying like, to stay, I'm still on trying to get out of here at this time, you yeah. know? So at that point, I'm like, you know what? Let's go back to the Superdome. We know this the last chance resort that, you know, and I'm like, this, the Superdome, it's the biggest thing we have in New Orleans. This really, I've been in there before, it's a big place. So you felt safe for a moment? For a quick second, mm -hmm. I felt relieved. You even hit me in the background kind of chin when the man said, we're going to get the TV so y'all can watch the news. I was like, yeah, that's what I want here. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, yeah, we're going to get y'all food tonight. You hit a whole crowd. It's like a football game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 we are. Okay, cool. All right, cool, man. This the dome, man. This, the storm going to come. We're going to hear the thunder and lightning, but that's going to be it. And then all of a sudden, I like, I was like, man, I, I got to really start like tuning in. I started talking to people. I didn't even really realize how much I was interviewing people while I was there. I was trying to document the whole thing because I'm seeing what's going on. I don't see no cameras. It, it was so crazy that I had the only camera that an older lady I was talking to, and I'm talking to her on camera. She's saying, yeah, watch yourself with the camera. They're following you or something. Started trying to make me feel paranoid, like, they don't want this story to get out. Yeah. You know, the guys telling us they're gonna get us, you know, food, they're gonna get us TVs to watch and stuff like this. And they never came through with any of those promises. Cause by the time we dozed off, we didn't get anything to eat. By the time we woke up, it started, it cranked up. Like you can hear the thundering, boom, boom. And just, it just got louder and louder. And then it started opening up holes. So the rain started coming in earlier. Once that started coming through, you was like, uh-oh. -uh. Well, I mean, we inside of it and it's getting inside. 
early. It's almost more dangerous to be inside. It was more dangerous, felt like at the time, because now they packed us like sardines. Here's the other problem. We had the whole Superdome, but as we came in the Superdome, I guess for crowd control, but they kept us sitting one by one. We was all next to each other. How many people Not were in Not every there? other seat. I think initially maybe about 5,000, when I really felt like I was in danger, was like I think after the second day, and we had lines, it took like 12 hours just to get food and water. Mm. And so if you didn't stand in the line and you missed your time to get the food and the water, the MRE, you won't get it until later when they do another 12 hour like cycle. So it was kind of like, wow, man, the food is scarce, the water is scarce. And then to myself, I was kind of like, man, maybe they are trying to like kill us all as a whole. Like they're gonna starve us out. Well, you thought that, gonna... that the government or the National Guard were trying I did. To put you in uncomfortable I did. situations? I, I just I just don't imagine how we all didn't have more than enough water. Like, I, I was like, we should have had a bunch of water, all of us. You, however many waters you want, however many MREs you want. This is America. We're supposed to be able to have, like, access to all things. I mean, the helicopters you'll hear in the background just coming all day, all night. Until I got out the uh, Superdome, all I heard was, like, helicopters in my ears ringing all the time. If, like, an air-conditioned unit come on, like... It sounded like a helicopter. I mean, that's that's all you heard. So they was moving in and out. They were still rescuing people, bringing them back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. But why they couldn't drop off the food and the water? So I just kind of felt like at that point in time, with them not getting us the resources we needed, I felt like it was almost like an effort. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, they knew New Orleans was a majority, uh, predominantly black city, mm -hmm. you know? Some people are trying to take offense to that, but they can't, they know what that is, especially downtown. Yeah. The numbers might not be that right now, but that's what it was. What were some of the conditions like? After that first morning and the storm came in, like the Superdome was damp. So like this carpet right here, it was damp underneath. So everybody had to sleep on something damp or you had to sleep outside so you could catch fresh air and everything. So it was really muggy. Mm. It was super hot and humid. Conditions that really bothered me and stuck with me for a long time is when I seen like elders. Elders mm. moved around and they were set in a chair or they was in their wheelchairs and they had a section of them and they all was there. They never moved. They never went to the restroom. You couldn't go to the restroom because it was just flooded with shit everywhere. Like it was like just already after day one, everything was all backed up mm. and it got worse. So, I mean, just imagine the bathroom is smoke filled with just straight black smoke in there and people smoking or whatever inside it. Uh, they're using a the bathroom where you're supposed to be washing your hands at, like because the other toilets and stuff is just all filled. They had a lady I ran into her after talking to her. She said she peed on herself. You know, it just, it, it happened. She couldn't get to the bathroom, she said. And so I had a pair of, this was my favorite pair of jeans and I just gave it to the lady. I know a guy committed suicide real early, like the very next day. Yeah. Um, he jumped over one of the railings. Um, you know, so stress, mental health, like he had mental health issues, obviously, but we didn't really have like people to help with mental health at the time. Yeah. Had a few police officers or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I'm not going to knock all of them, but it was kind of like I didn't I didn't appreciate how they moved us around like cattle, like in the beginning and stacking us on top of each other, just like placing us and the place is so big. So I would say the water started wetting us down. It was real damp in there. We was in one section and the water rained on us. Then we had to move to another section. It rained again. Mm. Then from that point, people started branching off. So you ain't had no more protocol on where you could sit, where you going. Like you just had to find a place. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I would say, yeah, that was some of the views and some of the haunts and views. I'm always remember 
people speaking about rape a lot, you know, even mm -hmm. to myself, I heard it so much. I echoed it one time. I was like, yeah, somebody said a little girl got raped. Another lady in the uh, background, she'll pop up in the view and say, oh, yeah, don't go that way because they say they rape, you know, some little girls in the bathroom or whatever the case may be. It also made the men come together mm. to kind of be like, man, if we ever catch a dude or whatever the case may be, man, we're going to like, we're going to do him something like, you know what I mean? Like, let's come together. Like everybody was like focused, like, no, you're not about to just start raping people like, you know what I mean? Like around us, like. You know, so it made them focus. It made the mothers and the people start focusing, getting mm. the kids closer. So I think it made us more focused. However, when I left and I seen some of the conditions, because now they finally got cameras on the ground now. They, now they got Oprah and everybody else kind of going through there trying to see now. They waited all this time. But I mean, when I was there, that's when it was raw. Yeah. That's the emotions. Everybody was, you know, was feeling that thing. So we all felt real bad at the time. Mm. We felt kind of like helpless, you know, and then became hopeless. You know what I mean? Like, and um, and just didn't know what was going to happen. And, and they blocked our exit to get out a few times. Yeah. Like, we went to the gates to try to, like, hey, man, we, we want to leave. I'm talking to the guy, telling him I'm prior military. Like, I'm like, you know, like, I got survival skills. I'd rather take my chances on the outside now. It seemed like it's more dangerous in here because by this time, they searched all of us just coming in there. But then they stopped searching people and they um, just was bringing people in. So now all the major drugs, weapons, guns. Yeah, they like, heard but, like gunshots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One time, this was the story that was told to me that the youngsters was getting really riled up and they was getting mad. And some kind of way they hit like a, um, a National Guard member in the head with a pipe or something like that. So all I'll tell you is what we remember is that I don't know if they shot rubber bullets or whatever, but I know they shot three times. The crowd scrambled. We ducked. I ran to get it inside because where I was kind of standing on the inside, they had the elders there. So I tried to hurry up and run and get to the door to get them to come out because I seen a stampede was coming. Mm -hmm. In New Orleans, we familiar with gunshots. Most people duck first, and the next thing they're looking for is to run. Then after that moment, that's when I'm going to say they had some prayer. Uh, people like came together, and this guy named Radio, I'll never forget him. I told him I have my video camera. And he wanted to start a movement in the march. So we did a march. And that became a powerful march during Hurricane Katrina. Like, where well, we just started singing, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Mm. And it would say, in the Superdome, I'm going to let it shine. Mm. In the Superdome. I'm going to let it shine. Did that bring kind of a sense of community? Man, it was the, it's the most peaceful moment that we had in the midst of the storm. New Orleans is a spiritual place. Mm-hmm. Whatever religion you are, what you know they have, uh, is a spiritual place. So we moved in that sense, and that's what we all felt. And it, it was some relief at that moment. Six lives were lost in the Superdome. Was there any moment where you're like, "This is this could be it"? Yeah, like I said, it would have been days away. That's why I was desperate to get out of there because I really felt like, um, yeah, once the first man jumped over the top, and then we started hearing other people passing away, and they were starting to bring in body bags. When I started thinking about the food and the water situation, mm -hmm. I was like, even to myself, I would only be able to withstand so much. Yeah. But since I was in the Marines, I, I knew how to ration the food that you have. Mm -hmm. So I can recall when we first came into the Superdome and they fed us the MREs for the first time, 
people didn't know what to do with them. I had to show like a group of people how to warm them up because you need to have a little bit of water that you pour into the bag. They wasn't given instructions as to properly use them. I always thought in my head, like, we do have monitors, big screen, like we're watching a football game, right? Like, get somebody up here, because if not, if you eat it cold, it's gonna taste like shit, because it's nasty as hell. They threw it away, it tastes like shit, it's nasty, I don't want this. Days later, they need that food, they are looking for it. No food coming in, no drinks coming in. Just more and more people coming in. Then people started getting rescued, so they went through one hell because they got stuck in a storm on the outside. Then they got rescued and brought to the Superdome, so they had to live through another hell. So at this time, you got everything in the Superdome now. You got killers. You got murders. You got rapists. You know, you got chill people. You got church people. You got you got everything in there. You got mm-hmm. a, a bunch of people with mental health in there for sure. We always thinking we need to get out. Mm-hmm. We just need to get out. We didn't know how I was going to get to do it. Can you break down your actual escape? Yeah, we was going from gate to gate, asking all the national guards, man, we want to leave. We want to take our chances on the outside, right? So they was like, you don't want to go out there. So the next thing you know, we see like uh, some of the police officers and the national guards, they standing off. The horses not blocking the entrance anymore Mm -hmm. at this point in time because they usually stand there so you couldn't get out. So this was the first time we finally actually seen the water. So at this point in time, you're like, "Mm." because all you heard was alligators in the water. Yeah. I live, they got alligators all around where I live. You got shark, right. they saying sharks in the water. You got the aquarium, all this, the zoo not too far from there. They can move like real fast, right? So we think, oh man, like you want to take your chance in the water. So we tell the people, okay, cool. We'll chill here. We'll wait for y'all to go see if y'all call, you know, good to go, whatever the case may be. And then I'm going to go check behind the Superdome. We were supposed to meet up at the same spot. They took off, never seen them again. Mm-hmm. Took off with my video camera and everything. Got all of my stuff. We go and look for the truck. So me and a guy named George walk underneath the Superdome ramp, or you could have got sucked into a current, went underneath and drowned that way. The water was Because the current was flowing underneath into the parking garage? Yes, and- so we had to watch where we were stepping, whatever the case may be. Because you could literally get swept under? Yes, you could, you Damn. could. So we was walking, kind of moving through that, and you can't move fast through the water, right? Yeah. So at this time, you in your mind, you thinking snakes, everything can move around in the water. You're hearing all these breaches happen at the zoo, aquarium and all of this. And you're like, uh, oh yeah, we seen, we came across some. What was the craziest shit you saw in the water? I think it's a turpin. You know what I mean? Yeah, it wasn't a twin. It's a turpin. Uh-huh. So the, the turpin's got like the little thing that come up. You know what I mean? So like when I seen a school of them, I'm thinking, man, what if the aquarium bust open and it got them big ass sharks? They they be showing people, you know, for entertainment, like some kind of jaws moving. Like yeah, so make a so, good movie though. Man, right? <laughs> so we were scared of shit. We didn't yeah. know it was gonna happen. And a guy that couldn't swim that was with me, what was crazy and on everything. He started chasing behind some of the fish. It was funny, man. Yeah, <laughs> Why yeah. is he chasing fish? I think he just had lost his mind at that time, maybe. Seriously. Mm. And I'm going to say, I remember the time right before we left, he just had told me, he said, man, um, he said, I can't take it no more. I can't take it no more. I don't know what I'm about to do. I said, man, listen, we, we about to get out of here. Just hold off. Just chill for a minute. By that time, I was able to go back to the, to the vehicle. You know what I mean? Like uh, like I said, me and George got to the vehicle to see it was good. We was coming to tell the people. Then they left. He left with my keys. Then we got to the convention center. Finally found them. After two hours of searching, keep in mind the water's still rising. Finally found them with my keys. My sole purpose in life that day, no matter if it was 150,000, 200,000 people, I was going to find them with my keys because they had a path to leave and to get out of there. My truck is off the ground. It's underneath the bridge, it's off the ground, but behind the Superdome. 
A National Guard member pointed me to go into this parking lot. That wasn't regular normal parking. If I'd have parked around a Superdome like everybody else, my truck would have been flooded. So it was a blessing when I first pulled up, they was like, yeah, go here. Every single thing leading up to your escape almost lined up perfectly to allow you to help people that needed it, teach people how to eat the food that required it, to document the events that actually went on, and to escape when almost no one else had those exact things play, nah, fall in like line. Right. So did it almost feel like destiny for you to be it did. there? It did. I'm going back to it. Like in the sense of as to I was meant to be there. You know what I mean? Like, and so when we did could get to the convention center and I dropped some people off and we picked up my group to leave out of there, at that point in time, I'm going to say that's when the guilt set in though. Because I felt like I could have made several more trips. Same way I brought the people to the convention center, same way I picked my people up. I could have went back and forth, dropping people off, just loads of people in the truck. That's what I felt. That's what I felt. But I know when we left, now we're finally starting to hear the story how they shut the people down in Gretna. Because they didn't, they didn't want the blacks, so-called, to go into Jefferson Parish and to loot and to steal and all of this. So they actually blocked the people off from trying to get to dry ground. It was just like this police department saying, no, you can't come in. Because they were trying to protect property. They were. Over lives. So I felt like once I was able to get them through that stretch, I wasn't going to be able to turn around. I was about to turn around. It was going to take me, make me go somewhere else. Yeah. Park, you know, such and such, get out, whatever. I didn't even think they was going to let me. When they seen all the people packed in my truck, I didn't think they was going to even let us get by them. But then they started leading us to different levees and stuff like that that was running up on levees to get out of certain areas just to get closer mm -hmm. to Baton Rouge. At that point in time, my eyes just started really watering, man, with tears. Uh, my, 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 my friend, he had like a, I thought he was going to die because he stayed behind. And I picked him up at the convention center. That's another one they found along the way. Mm. So even though they left me, they found somebody else that I was real close to and real cool with. Mm. And so, yeah, he had some like wet cigarettes and stuff like that, man. I'm like, I started chain smoking <laughs> and tears was just flowing out my eyes. I was just riding on 11. And I'm looking, I got all these people in the front and the back everywhere. And I'm like, wow, man, um, boy, we're about to get out of this. You had a reporter come up to you right after you escaped. It was like, how do you feel about this? What's going on? How, how, how is this? What's, what, what's going on in your mind right now? Yeah, and I looked around and I was like, I don't know how to feel. Post-traumatic stress is real. And no, they don't have any prescription pills that will ease my pain. No aspirin strong enough to stop these migraines. And it feels like a blood vessel is about to explode in my brain, worrying about too many things. And the only thing that keeps me sane is meditating and praying, Shelton Jr., jailing Lorraine, calling a name like Scarface and Rick James. I don't know how to feel. And you're almost expected to know how to feel when, when someone, when a reporter comes up to you and asks you while you're escaping, how do you feel right now? Yeah, like, are, are you excited? Oh, I'm happy, yeah. No, no all, the, all the survivor's guilt, all of that, everything kicking right down, you looking around because this the first time you are in it now you was kind of still going through your own storm in the superdome but now you in the atmosphere of the people really trying to escape and survive and they moving around in coolers and freezers like mattresses they floating on rafts they on everything boxes crates buckets whatever they they trying to make it and like my people they don't swim too much so you know a lot of people drown and didn't survive that way you know what i mean so i was like I'm seeing thousands of people walking with like no direction. So that's when they started getting put on buses, shipped here, shipped there, and shipped wherever in the world. 
But I was able to go get my truck, cool my truck, get some people, and my journey was meant to move a little differently. Mm -hmm. At that point, it was like, you seen enough, recorded enough, mm. you went through enough, now I need you to survive to be able to tell the story. And there was a moment that you captured, a really beautiful moment where you reconnected with your mom the yeah. first time after that. Because you didn't know if she was okay throughout all that. Yeah, didn't, I didn't know if they turned off, if they went anywhere else. As a matter of fact, um, my son was told that me and my mom both stayed home and that we both drowned. So before he got to see me, he thought we was dead already. And he knew she would have wanted to stay for the storm or whatever. But yeah, so when I finally seen her like a month later, like she was like, you know, just saying like, man, she was pointing to her head. She was like, it's so stressful. I just was happy to see her, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and I didn't know. That was gonna be like, um, like one of my like opportunities to like see her cause she had to go away again. So that like, um, yeah, man, I just kind of, you know, kind of broke me up. It was a good reunion. It only lasted for like a few hours cause I had to move on. So it's like I had to leave her behind again. And I didn't want to. Everybody, man, everybody got a mom, man. So that just took a lot out of me, but I was glad to see her. Um, I was glad to know that she was okay. And she was doing what she loves to do is to cook. And she was cooking at the hotel on a little uh, burner and making gumbo and all of that and people, you know. So she got to share her spirit and her food and stuff with people when these other people was out there with her. So it was kind of like everybody was kind of meant to be what it was, but I know we wasn't gonna never really be together again was the... You just felt it? Yeah. Yeah, I felt it, man. And so, so when she did die, man, I'ma say, this was probably the darkest place I ever been in the Samson spiritual and everything I would say about the Most High. Like, I was mad and angry, man, at God, like um, for a long time, man. Took a lot of time for me to be like, man, like, like why you took this woman away, man? They got so many people that do so much stuff, man. Like, why did you take her? And, you know, to be a believer, like you can't really ask why, but like, I was mad, man. I never really spoke about that on camera. I said that to people. I was mad. I was mad. And uh, they had different ways. Cause I'll tell you one time, um, yeah, like like for me on a spiritual level, you can't really play with it because if he show you something so powerful and so great that he brought you to a place and he helped you get beyond that. And you believe because you believe he was gonna get you to that. And then just because it don't go your way and you give up, he also showed me because he almost took my, my my voice away. I was like, you took my mom. So I was like, now you're going to take my voice away? And then for the next month and a half, I couldn't really even like come up a pitch on my voice. I thought he was just going to punish me. I finally had to say, I just need you to forgive me then. I do understand, you know why I'm mad. But at that point, I was like, you know what? He was saying to me, I could have killed you in that fire. I could have took you in that storm. I ain't had to bring you this far. You gotta stop. You gotta humble yourself and you gotta be grateful just to be here because so many people are not. And then you gotta speak on their behalf and be the voice of those people so they're never forgotten. But, and uh, you become the example for people and so maybe they can learn some things as to what to do and maybe what not to do. So then 
You just become that thing for mm. people. That's it. But you got to get away for your own sanity too. So yeah, how has your life changed after escaping? <sighs> yeah, well, it it, it kind of it taught me a lot, man. In in a sense, as to survival, like you know, like eventually I had to move on because I'm gonna say my mental health, like was just. I felt like it was starting to decline a little bit. Mm. Everything became ugly. It just was the fact that what I felt like the government and uh, local government and the people that kind of let us down, um, they wasn't there. And, and, and it's kind of like, where can we go from here? Because it's always gonna be there. I can do a bunch of positive things and people can do a lot of things for me, but I'm still gonna go back to that time when I felt like you actually almost let me die. You know, like uh, you almost, you know, you left me to fend for myself. You left all those people to fend for themselves. And like you, you know what I mean? So it always hurt it because I always have flashbacks. It's it's all the time. I'm always going to think about the Superdome constantly. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to think about that. So, so beyond that, like, you know, then people just started dying a lot mm -hmm. after Katrina. We started having more and more funerals. Like mm -hmm. two and three and four funerals on one weekend, like when you so know, not even related to the storm itself, but just the the health effects, the, the, the health, mental effects, health effects, all of that, yeah, all of that. So even to myself, I stayed in the FEMA trailer as long as you could. So I know I'm probably full of the formaldehyde and all the other stuff that that I inhaled, that I had to breathe in, that I was closed in and closed in space for a long time up until the point my mom's died, and then by that time they wanted us to move out of them. And then at that time, I almost didn't want to move out of it. You know what I mean? Like, I I kind of felt like this was my life. It's, I don't know what, what my life is right now. I'm in a trailer right now. I mean, we're trying to rebuild. We're trying to get another home going or whatever the case may be. And so things started happening. Things started being more positive. Some people started finding out about my story. And then from that point, it was kind of like, yeah, I was able to meet more people and so, like, people started helping out, like, you know what I mean? Like at the house and stuff like that. So a lot of college students I met, a lot of colleges I went to and traveled and stuff, but I always talked about the mental health and the aspects as to, um, you know, like after you go through a disaster like that, like you you can try, but it's not, it's not going anywhere. It's there. So you need to just be able to deal with it. Um, you, I guess you can stop, you know, having guilt like on yourself and just kind of be like, I survived it. I was meant to survive it. I kind of feel like I had to stop beating myself up for the other people I couldn't help out or save. But I started saying, well, you was meant to be there and you was meant to help the people that you was able to help. Then I was able to reflect on the footage. And so, like I said, even driving towards California, I always went back and looked at that footage with the people singing inside the Superdome. Mm. Like nothing didn't break our spirit, nothing didn't break our will. We didn't give up. We still relied on the most high and we just didn't throw in a towel. We really felt inspired and we felt, you know, like we, we gonna make it. How did you get to the point where you became okay with it, you accepted it, you were able to see the lessons and things that it brought you and not just the negative things? Maybe seven years later after I went through all these medical situations and I really was stressing, I felt like I was gonna die every day. I started doing like, like little secret cards and stuff like saying, if, you know, if I die, I want my son to get this, I want my son to get that, give this or that. But I would say the only way I was able to continue and put a pause on some of that is like I had to say, man, you still here. 
He still have you here for a reason. You have a purpose. You 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 you're gonna affect people. You're gonna touch people, and you're gonna help where you can. You're not gonna really look for too much in return. You want what's fair, so you hope people be fair to you. But even if they're not fair to you, it's what you're supposed to do for the people, not what the people supposed to do for you. Mm-hmm. So because I always been free spirit and willing to give that way, he always blessed me. Mm-hmm. But if I shut down and keep it to myself and be to myself, then you could understand why you're not really blessed. So some people spiritual, some people not. Some believe, believe, some people don't. Everybody have their own choice. But for me, if you've shown these things and it's been proven to you time and time and time and time and time and again, you have to really be thankful, man, and just to be here, just to be able to breathe. Because I remember I couldn't breathe. I didn't even know that was anxiety. Yeah. I thought I was going to die. Like it was... Like I had to go to the hospital emergency room like six, seven times. We're not taught that um, that your mental health, that your stress, that your anxiety can affect you physically. That's not something that, like, were you ever told that? Never, never. I, man, to say I was rough and tough, played college football, was in the Marines and all this, big guy. I, I didn't fear anything. After the, I guess my mom's past, I guess I feared what life was going to be like without her. And I think that was the cause of it. So then the anxiety kicked in, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm like taking small breaths like I was in a gas chamber, like, you know, you, you, you're doing training for the Marines. Like, I was like, I can't breathe. I, and like, every time I got rushed to the emergency room, they checking my, checking all the stuff. They're like, you okay, you just breathe, just relax. Do you think the kind of struggles that you were facing afterwards with your mental and physical health were the same things that your family members were experiencing yes. as well? Yeah. And and a big part of that was the stresses brought on by Katrina. Yes. My mom's died of a um, massive heart attack. She wasn't a sickly person. Mm. My auntie, she died of an aneurysm. You know, my, my grandmother being elderly, you know, in a heart attack, you know, you can imagine that. But I'm saying my mom's died at 59. Uh, my auntie was younger than that. So it was. It was mental health. It was stress. My mama was stressing about everything. Spiritual woman taught me everything. She stressed and um, it did her end, man. And uh, she wouldn't want me to be that way. So I had to start thinking about my son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if you talking about your mom being gone, what's gonna happen if you go then what are you gonna have? Mm-hmm. So I had to start like, now you are her to him. Mm. You can't go nowhere. You got to survive. You got to calm down. All right, maybe you take a little medicine, get you some anxiety pills or whatever, you know, until they get back under control. Know where you are. Know when it's kicking in. Know when you overstress, it's going to kick in. Mm-hmm. But you got to know what it is. If you don't know what it is, you're going to feel like you're dying, period. And so you just got to, you know, constantly check your health too. And I think a lot of people die because you know, guys and his, you know, ego and macho thing sometimes, like, they like they don't want to be told they're crazy, they got some mental health problems, you know, like, no, man, you don't have to be crazy to have mental health problems. You're stressing. You're overloaded. Whatever it is, work, whatever, your relationships, whatever it is in life can overload you, man. And you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to breathe. And you're going to wonder why. You're going to be like, I'm about to have a heart attack, so much so you're going to keep doing that until you're eventually going to have that heart attack. I listened to whatever was inside of me. 
what people call it gut feeling. Some people say spiritual, whatever that is. It say, move on. You're good. You did everything. I felt like my mom, everybody else, like, you did all you could do, man. Do you want to live now or do you want to stay here and just become another number yourself? Because now your mental health requires you, requires you to drop all this stuff off your back, man. Get, off, get the world off your shoulders. You, you don't need that. You, you, you about to move on. Move on. Go, go live your life. You had to stop all of that, man, for my own mental health. To survive, to want to be here. I can't keep giving people if I don't have nothing in me to give. People say it's selfish to, to care about yourself, to care about your own mental health before others. But in order to help others, you need to care about yourself. Period. That's perfect. That's it. And that's what I was doing. I cared about more what other people thought or what I needed to do for them more than what was going to help me survive. And then, like I said, something told me, move. Move. I was meant to move. What do you hope people watching this take away from your story? Take care of yourself, man. Yeah. Be good to yourself. Man, treat yourself, you know, like royalty. Number one, protect your body. You know what I mean? Like, uh, protect your thoughts. You know, if you hang around people that's negative all the time, man, I mean, their negativity going to start affecting your brain, and negativity is not going to help you grow. It's only going to make your body, you're going to get sick. You're going to try to figure out what's going on. You're going to be sick. You're going to be sick mentally. You don't have to have, like, some physical pain or ailment that's going to tell you that. You're going to know if you're really stressing and you're super depressed. Yeah, man, seek out counselors. Talk to people. Be selfish all the time. I mean, <laughs> be selfish all the time because I wasn't. Stop worrying about what people are going to think, what they think of you, how they think of you. You can think of people, think about them in a positive light. But if you have to think about people so much that it hurts you and, and make you suffer, you're going to have to be selfish and say, man, I did all I could do, man. Now I have to think about myself and what I need to do for myself. Because if I'm no good, I can't help anybody else anyway. You're a poet and you actually had a poem that you had just recently written that you recited to kind of boost morale? Yes. What did that sound like? What, did, what kind of things did you say in that poem? Who am I? I am pain. An ex-Marine trained so adapt and overcome. I am the beat and the rhythm of the drum that make them go bum, bum, bum. Deep down south in the slums and the dumps. I'm calling all Greeks and Kurt Franklin to put on our steel toes and stump. Take a leap of faith, might as well go ahead. Jump. I am the Bible, read me, I invite you for I am reliable. Vital to your survival and also the key to your eternity, see. They didn't want me or my tribe to multiply. So every son that was born was to die and every daughter be kept alive. And the only reason I can stand here and testify, because I survived. Champions can't be denied. I'm representing the house of Levi. But my mother was given to an unknown Hebrew man to be his bride, so I escaped that as a child. So I don't feel the snakes in the grass, the alligators or the crocodiles, bogging, bogging, then after a while. For three months alone, I lived in the wild. Placed inside a basket, mom hid me in the tall grasses alongside the Nile banks of the river. She was taking a bath. She spotted my flag and I was found by an Egyptian princess. Looking from a distance far off in the mist was Miriam, my older sister. That's why I walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> damn, damn. 